If you have your Bibles, please join me now and open them to Genesis chapter 27. Genesis chapter 27. We, we're continuing through the story of, of Isaac and Rebekah and their twin sons, Jacob and Esau. As you know, there has already been a lot of drama within this family. And that drama is only going to get worse here today in Genesis chapter 27. And so let's read the entirety of this chapter together. It says this. When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son. And he answered, Here I am. He said, Behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, Take your weapons, your quiver and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me, and prepare for me delicious food such as I love, and bring it to me so that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. Now Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two young, good young goats so that I may prepare for them from them delicious food for your father such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat, so that he may bless you before he dies. But Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, Behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. His mother said to him, Let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go bring them to me. So he went and took them. And brought them to his mother. And his mother prepared delicious food such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And the skins of the young goat she put on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. And she put the delicious food and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. So he went in to his father and said, My father... And he said, here I am, who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat my game that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, how is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? He answered, because the Lord your God granted me success. Then Isaac said to Jacob, please, please come near that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. He said, Are you really my son Esau? He answered, I am. Then he said, Bring it near to me that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him, and he ate, and he brought him wine, and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, Come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him. 
And Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, See, the smell of my son is as the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let peoples serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. He also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, let my father arise and eat of his son's game that you may bless me. His father Isaac said to him, who are you? He answered, I am your son, your firstborn Esau. Then Isaac trembled very violently and said, who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? And I ate it all before you came and I have blessed him. Yes, and he shall be blessed. As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, even me also, O my father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully, and he has taken away your blessing. Esau said, Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. Then he said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? Isaac answered and said to Esau, Behold, I have made him Lord over you and all his brothers. I have given to him for servants, and with grain and wine I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, Have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Then Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, Behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be, and away from the dew of heaven on high. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. But the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, Behold, your brother Esau comforts himself about you by planning to kill you. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice. Arise, flee to Laban, my brother, in Haran, and stay with him a while until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother's anger turns away from you, and he forgets what you have done to him. Then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be bereft of of you both in one day? Then Rebekah said to Isaac, I loathe my life because of the Hittite women. If Jacob marries one of these Hittite women like these, one of the women of the land, what good will my life be to me? Amen. May God bless the sobering preaching of his word this morning. Friends, what is the most dysfunctional family that you have ever seen? When you think of family drama and and family issues, what what family comes quickly to mind? Is it the McAllisters 
from the Home Alone film, right? They, they had a few issues to work through. Maybe it's the, the Pearson family from the more modern This Is Us TV series. How, how about the Skywalkers from Star Wars? They had a few issues to work through, parent and child. Or maybe it's the Corleone family from The Godfather. They, they had some problems. Or, or is the most dysfunctional family that you have ever seen your own family? What, what flavor of drama did you grow up with in your home? How, how dramatic was your family growing up? Was your family a yelling family? Was it an overly sarcastic family? Was it a silent treatment for days on end sort of family? Are, are there arguments that are still unresolved between you? Who is not talking to who? What sibling divide exists within your family? When did your parents first get divorced? If you grew up in a hard family, did, did you always tell yourself that when you became parents, your own family would be different? But, but now are you beginning to realize that, that some of the same issues are present within your own home and within your own parenting? What, what level of concern do you feel for how your family is turning out? Folks, we all have difficult family situations, don't we? Family is hard. And, and the difficulty of family struggles can oftentimes feel like a very godless situation. Where is God in all of our family struggles? How come he didn't show up in a bigger way when we were kids and our parents were getting a divorce? Where is he now as we feel clueless about how to parent in this world? Where is God in the midst of family drama and family conflict? Folks, the same question could be asked of our passage here today. There is some serious drama going on in Isaac's home. There, there is deceit. There's cheating. There is hate and bitterness. By the end of chapter 27, one of Isaac's two sons wants to kill his brother. Folks, this is the family that, that God has chosen to work his plan of redemption through. But it's a hot mess. It, it's ugly here. God doesn't seem to be anywhere in this story. In fact, did you notice the absence of God in this story? I mean, we see God referenced very briefly in a, in a deceitful way by, by Jacob in verse 20. And then we see Isaac reference God in his blessing over Jacob. But God is not actively present here. He, he doesn't appear to them like he did for Isaac in chapter 26. He doesn't speak in any way. He doesn't intervene. He doesn't try to mediate this problem. No, he seems entirely absent. And folks, that can be so reflective of how we feel the same way in the midst of our many struggles in life, and not just family struggles, in all struggles of life. God can feel so absent. It can feel like he's forgotten us, and that he's abandoned us in the midst of our problems. But has he? Had God abandoned Isaac and his family in this story, or does it just seem like it? And is God's blessing actually going to be proven even stronger because of his apparent absence? Well, yes, that's exactly what's going to happen here. And friends, that's exactly what happens in our lives as well. Despite how hopeless we feel about our family situation, despite how weak we feel about our parenting, God will prove himself faithful. He will be faithful to his own. 
Folks, here's the main idea for our message this morning. Both your personal and family troubles are no match for the blessing of God's grace. Both your personal and your family troubles are no match for the blessing of God's grace. And we have three points to look at this morning. Number one, needing the blessing. Number two, fumbling for the blessing. And number three, awaiting the blessing. Needing the blessing, fumbling for the blessing, and then awaiting the blessing. Let's begin with the first. Point number one, needing the blessing. Folks, look at verse four. This whole drama begins with Isaac telling his eldest son Esau to hunt and prepare food so that, he says, my soul may bless you before I die. That's that's the goal. Isaac wants to transfer a blessing to his son Esau. And then then the drama really begins here. And And the drama really is all around this blessing. We, we actually see the word bless or blessed or blessing used 23 times in this single chapter. This passage is clearly all about who is going to receive the blessing from Isaac. Now, folks, what's the big deal about this blessing? What is the blessing and why is it so important? When, when Isaac wants to bless his eldest son Esau, does, does he just want to say some nice things about Esau? Does he just want to encourage him in a, in a particular way as he prepares to die? Well, no, it, it's much more than that. And we know that it's more than that as we look at the actual content of the blessing. When we read in verses 27 to 29, we see Isaac speaking God's very words over Jacob, who at this point he thinks is Esau. Isaac uses words like this. He says, let peoples serve you and nations bow down to you. And he uses words like, cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. Doesn't that language sound familiar to you? It's very similar to what God had originally spoken as a blessing over Abraham in chapter 12. When he said, I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. It's also very similar to the words that we read in Genesis 17 when when Abraham accepts the sign of circumcision, the the sign of the covenant for, for himself and for Isaac and for the entire line of God's chosen people after them. Those who would become mighty by God's grace. Those that God's favor would be upon. Church, this is what the blessing is about. It's not just about nice words being shared. It's about who God would use to accomplish his gracious purposes in this world. Who who would be blessed with God's favor? Listen, we don't know exactly why or how, but, but it seems very clear that these words carried an authority behind them. That they carried divine purpose and divine Wait, they they couldn't be reversed once they had been spoken. God chose, within his providential plan, God chose to use these parental blessings as a way to clearly and definitively and authoritatively mark out those that he would bless. If you have the ESV study Bible, you can read in the note that it says the, the paternal blessing that Isaac wishes to give to Esau is important because it will establish the identity of the heir to the divine promises given to Abraham and Isaac. And then it goes on and it says, such blessings were, were very important for as prayers addressed to God, they were viewed as shaping the future of those who are blessed. 
Leland Riken, in his commentary, says, Such blessings were more than good wishes. In some sense, they were efficacious in bringing about what the patriarch conferred. And so, folks, this is what the drama is all about. This is what the drama is surrounding. And and seeing this helps us understand why there was so much drama around this. Everyone wants the blessing. None of them want it for the right reasons at all, but all of them want this blessing. And church, that reflects in us as well too, doesn't it? We all want to be blessed. What, What we want, whether it's for the right reasons or not, what we want is clear and decisive direction that comes from a blessing like this. We we all want our lives to matter. We want our families to matter. We want meaning and significance in this world and in our lives. You know, certain families try try to find meaning and significance through material blessing. And so mom and dad work endlessly in order to give nice things to their kids. Certain families try to find this blessing through memories. And so they could be dirt poor, but as long as they're doing fun things together, they're happy. Certain families try to find this blessing through education and knowledge, and so they make their homes entirely about learning and schooling. Other families find this blessing through sports and recreation, and so every member of the family is on three teams or three clubs. It's not just families either. We, we all want the blessing of a clear call and direction for our lives. We don't want to be insignificant. We want our lives to matter. And folks, This want, this desire is good. This want, this desire is right. This this want for meaning and significance reflects a God-given need put within each one of us. We all need direction. We all want significance. We all need purpose and direction. We all need a calling. This world, if you look around it, is filled with people who prove this to be true every single day. They are scrambling around for a new and clear calling over their lives. We all need it. We're all endlessly searching for the blessing of a clear call and purpose over our lives. The question is whether we want, the question is will we look in the right place to find that blessing or not? And that brings us to Our second point this morning, point number two, fumbling for the blessing. Fumbling for the blessing. Again, it is right and good that we want to be blessed, that we want this over our lives. We all have this need, but the question is, how do we pursue this blessing? And folks, Genesis 27 is a roadmap for how not to pursue this blessing, right? Genesis 27 reads like a messy soap opera episode, doesn't it? It's, it's not pretty. Every single character in this story is at fault and at blame. There's no righteous example. There's no Christ figure to set our eyes on. There, there's no example of morality to look up to. Isaac, Rebecca, Jacob, Esau, they are all horrible examples of what it means to pursue God's blessing in our lives. To fumble for something is by definition to search for something blindly in the dark. And folks, that's exactly what's happening here. Even though Isaac is the only one who is described in verse 1 as being physically blind, he's unable to see, still every member of his family is fumbling in the dark. 
None of them understands what the blessing truly is and how it should be received. Church, let's take a minute and look at each of these characters because each one of them has a negative lesson for us to learn from. First of all, look at Isaac with me. Isaac is the patriarch. Isaac is is the husband. He is the father. He was the child of promise for Abraham and Sarah. He should have known better. He should have known better. In fact, two weeks ago, we saw that Isaac did know better. Because in chapter 26, Isaac, who was not perfect, he fell into sin, but but he still learned from his mistakes. He, He lived by faith. He pursued repentance. He obeyed God, and God's presence was with him. However, in his old age, it seems like like Isaac has gotten spiritually lazy. It seems like in his old age, he's become spiritually apathetic. In his old age, he's not as spiritually sharp or as spiritually earnest as he had been when he was a young man. Isaac's not being led by his faith as much as he once had. And we can see that in a number of different ways. First of all, we see that Isaac is not following God's word like he once had. And it actually seems like Isaac is being governed by the cultural and and secular norms and expectations of that day rather than being governed by God's word. Because Isaac thinks that he knows better than God. Because even though back in chapter 25, God had made it explicitly clear that he was going to bless the younger of the two sons, here in 27, Isaac doesn't seem willing to trust God enough to go against the cultural norms and expectations of that day to bless the first son. Esau's already his favorite, and so with the cultural pressure and his own desires, he goes against God's word and takes matters into his own hands. Second of all, it seems very clear that Isaac was governed by his physical passions and desires rather than by his spiritual convictions in his old age. Right? Verse 4, Isaac seems to make a big deal about the food that he wants. He wants a good meal. Food did not need to be a part of the blessing, but Isaac makes it a significant part. He says, prepare for me delicious food such as I love and bring it to me so that I may eat that my soul may bless you before I die. He connects his desires with the blessing that he wants to transfer. Verse 9, Rebecca speaks of Isaac as as loving his food. Verse 14 speaks of the food that Isaac loved again. Verse 25 seems to say that he ate and drank quickly, even before giving the substance of the blessing. In, In his old age, Isaac seems to have been led by his physical passions rather than by his spiritual need before God. His his spiritual appetite had been replaced by his physical appetite. Friends, there are some serious implications and applications for us all here this morning. First of all, church, Isaac should exhort us as we all grow older in this life. He he no longer has the spiritual clarity that he had when he was younger. He's still a man of faith. He's still part of God's people but he has lost his spiritual earnestness. And when he does, he does great harm to those around him and to his family in particular. Friend, are you growing older in life? Maybe you're not even growing older physically, but you've been a Christian for a long time. You're a seasoned saint. You've been a Christian for 5, 10, 15, 20, 40 years perhaps. 
Have you lost your spiritual zeal in this same way? Church, do not be like Isaac in your old age. Don't let it happen. By God's grace, may may the older saints in Redeemer Fellowship, who we have many of, praise God, may our older saints be some of the most earnest, some of the most spiritually sharp members that we have. Listen, seasoned Christians, we need you here. God still has plans for your life. He wants to use you powerfully within the local church. There are people to disciple here, friends. There are ministry teams to lead. There are opportunities to be champions of of generosity and service. Don't grow old in your age or don't grow dull in your old age. Don't be led by your physical passions. Don't, Don't take the easy road in life. Don't waste your retirement and go on endless trips and vacations. Don't make your final years more about you than about Jesus and the work that he is doing in this world. I also think the picture of Isaac here provides a strong exhortation to husbands and to fathers here today. Isaac is a horrible example of what it means to be a spiritual leader within the home. A horrible example of what it means to be the spiritual head of the home. And at one of the most spiritually important moments of his life, he's fumbling through the dark and he fails to lead his family to what he knows is right and towards what is most important. Husbands, dads, you are called to be different. We are called to be different. It's so clear in God's word that men are called to lead and to shepherd their homes. We are called to carry primary responsibility for the the spiritual well-being and growth of our families. Fellas, let us not be led by our physical desires and passions more than we are led by the Spirit of God and by the Word of God. Do not prioritize cultural norms over God's word. Men, be different Let's not crave food like Isaac craved food. Let's not crave sports and hobbies like he might have done. Or let's not crave time with our buddies or our lazy habits at the end of the day more than we crave God's presence in our lives and in the life of our family. Oh, how badly, how badly this world needs men in the church like you and me to become servant leaders within the home. Men who, unlike Isaac, follow the example of Christ and lay down their lives for the spiritual well-being of their wives and their children every single day. Men, let's do this. I am so grateful for the example of many in our church who care about these things and do so well. I'm grateful for men in our church, men like those in the Johnson Fellowship Group and in the Lee Fellowship Group who are getting together regularly to read books and to pray together and to think about how they can be faithful men day in and day out. Men, let us prioritize our relationship with Jesus and our families or in our family's relationship with Jesus above every other thing. The next character in the story that we have to look at is Rebecca. Oh, Rebecca. Rebecca, you too seem to have grown dull in your old age. Rebecca, when you were young and you were desperate to have children and you had greater humility, you sought the Lord. Rebecca, you prayed back then. 
But when you are old and you desire to have your favorite son be blessed, you do not seek the Lord in humility, Rebecca. No, you take matters into your own hands and you lie and you deceive. Church, the picture of Rebecca here is pretty stark. And it's, it's made so stark because of how it contrasts to Abraham's wife, Sarah. We, we didn't see much of Sarah's weakness. Hebrews chapter 11 describes Sarah as a remarkable woman of faith. And, and 1 Peter chapter 3 holds Sarah up as a model wife for godly women to follow because of her courage and her right humility before her husband and her willingness to follow her husband, Abraham. Sarah seems to have, have seen and valued the, the complementary roles of husbands and wives according to God's design, and she is commended in Scripture for it. But, but that doesn't seem to be the case with Rebecca. No. Rather than loving and respecting her husband, Rebecca seems to disrespect and to malign and to undermine her husband. She takes advantage of his weakness and seeks to get what she wants through blatant deceit and manipulation. Folks, it's just a weird scenario, isn't it? She's so conniving. She everything, has everything perfectly planned out for how she wants to get what she wants. Listen, even, even, and this is a far stretch, even if her goal is to fulfill God's promise to have Jacob be blessed, she doesn't do it in a godly way. No, she does it for herself. She does it selfishly, and she becomes the queen of manipulation in this moment. Ladies, I think there is truth here for you as well. Wives and mothers, isn't it true that you can manipulate your home at times? Through your emotions, through your words, through even using spiritual language at times, just, just to get what you want. I think this is a vulnerability in a lot of marriages. But what we see here is that godliness for Rebecca would have been to seek God and to speak his word in humility rather than trying to undermine and belittle and take matters into her own hands. Rebecca's ultimate goal for Jacob to be blessed, that, that might have been consistent with God's plan to bless Jacob, just like your desires, ladies, might be for godly change in your home. But like Rebecca, we can oftentimes try to change things, not in humility before God, but by undermining and manipulating our husbands and our children as well. And when we do, we actually do more damage than good. Right? The, the result of Rebecca's manipulation was not to get what she wanted. She had to send her son Jacob far off, whom she loved. She loses him. Her manipulation backfires on her. Ladies, let's not do this either. But please don't stop desiring God's plan for your life and for your family, but desire it for the right reasons and pursue it with the right humility before God and before your husband. And I'm also very grateful for groups of ladies in fellowship groups who are getting together and fellowshipping in a way that is helping them to live for Christ together and, and in a greater way for their families. Folks, next we need to look at Jacob. What an idiot. Jacob. Jacob, whose, whose name means heel grabber because of how he came out of the womb grabbing Esau's heel. He he continues to live consistent to his namesake. He grabbed Esau's birthright, and now he is making a grab for the blessing. Even though Jacob is the one that God had chosen to bless, in fact, Jacob's name will be changed in a few chapters to Israel. He will be the one through whom God's chosen people would come. But what we see here is that he is not 
chosen because of anything good in him. Look at how clearly the text demonstrates his, his moral bankruptcy. As a son, he is the worst possible son. When Rebecca gives him this idea, Jacob resists, but, but he does not resist because of any moral concern. He didn't have conviction. No, his only hesitancy to her plan was that he was concerned about being caught. But then he's convinced to do it once Rebecca says that he will not be cursed. And so he begins to move forward. Folks, think about how foolish he must have looked. Wearing his brother's clothes, likely too, too big for him. Goat hair on his hands and on his neck. And just, okay, what do I do now, mom? Where do I go? What do I, okay, yep, okay, dad, here's, here's your food. Th- then he goes into his father. He, the text repeats the examples of deceit that happen here. Verse 19, he lies and says that he is Esau. He then lies and says that he's hunted the game that he has. Verse 20, Isaac says, how is it that you have gotten the food so quickly? And Jacob says, because the Lord your God granted me success. He blasphemes. He uses God's name in vain. He uses it to his own advantage. Verse 24, when Jacob asks again whether he is Esau, Jacob says, I am. Folks, Jacob, who would later become Israel, the father of God's nation, is a lying, cheating, manipulating blasphemer. He is morally bankrupt in every way. It's, it's crazy to read. This is who God chooses to bless? Finally, we need to look at Esau. This, this narrative leads us to, to feel a little bit sorry for Esau. But Esau is not innocent here either. He seems to have been robbed again of what he felt was rightfully his, but, but yet Scripture makes it very clear that Esau was not a spiritually minded man. He was not godly in any sense. He was carnal in every way. He was led by his physical appetites. He married Canaanite women. He sold his birthright for a bowl of soup. He, he wants this blessing, but, but from what we know of Esau, we know that he did not want it for the right reasons. He had zero interest in living in a covenant relationship with God. And so, folks, this is God's chosen family. <laughs> what a mess. What, what scandal. What, what dysfunctional family this is. How, how broken they are. Folks, again, how dysfunctional is your family? How broken do you feel about your parenting or about your marriage? Teenagers. How badly have you dishonored and deceived your parents just like Jacob did to his father? Friend, in your brokenness, are you longing for healing? Are you longing for a blessing but, but don't know where to find it? You are not alone. You are not alone. This text is intentionally written to leave us feeling hopeless. It's intentionally written to cause us to see the, the hopelessness of our situation and then to cause us to look outside of ourselves for the answer that we all so desperately need. And that brings us to our third point this morning. Point number three, awaiting the blessing. As we said earlier, there is no good human example to follow in this text. There's no godliness anywhere. There's no Christ figure to look to. It's all bad. It's all brokenness. It's all 
ugly. And I think, I think the pain and the ugliness of this is seen nowhere more clearly than in Esau's words to his father. Verse 34, right? Esau finds out that Jacob has deceived him and, and Esau is in anguish. He cries out with, it says, an exceedingly great and bitter cry. He says, bless me, bless me, even me also, oh my father. And then he repeats it multiple times. He's pleading with his father for a blessing. He says, don't you have one more blessing, even one more to give to me? He, he wants help. We know that he doesn't want it for the right reason, but he wants help. He knows he needs this blessing. Oh, friends, in the midst of our personal and family struggles, can't we cry out like Esau as well? God, don't you have just another blessing for me? God, we're at the end of our rope as a family. We're about to explode. Our marriage is imploding. We're on the brink of divorce. God, my work situation is just utterly hopeless. God, don't you have even one blessing for me? That's where we all are at. Friends, here's what we learned from this text. When we cry out to God in the way that Esau did, not for selfish gain like Esau did, but when we cry out to God in the same way, with humility and with faith and with desperation, church, we know today that God both can and will answer our prayers. And we know that, church, because even though there is no clear blessing to find in this story, there are hints of a future blessing that will still come about. We, we know that there is nothing good in Isaac. All right. We know that there's nothing good in Rebecca or in Jacob or in Esau. We know that there's nothing good in them. Genesis has shown us that and made it abundantly clear that there's nothing good in any of us. Yet we're not done writing the story. And friends, we see the story continue in verse 41. God, God could have just ended things for Rebecca and for Isaac, but he doesn't. He uses even this brokenness to bring about good. Esau gets so angry that he says that he is going to kill Jacob. Rebecca hears what he says, and he tells Jacob to run away to her family in Paden Aram. And so unintentionally, Rebecca is telling him to go to the place where God had found a wife for his father and where God will ultimately find a wife for him as well. Listen, there is a clear contrast being made between Jacob and Esau. Esau is portrayed as a fleshly-minded murderer. He is from the line of the serpent, the line of Cain from Genesis 3 and 4. But Jacob is descended from Eve, and the line of promise is preserved despite him. Even as Jacob is sent away as a consequence of his sin, even then God is protecting his line of promise. It's extraordinary. So church, even though there is no our hope as the readers is kindled because we see the story go forward and we see the promised seed preserved. The blessing will come, church. And friends, though they still were awaiting the full blessing, we here today know where to find this blessing. We know that God has been faithful to his word. A future child of Jacob would come. Jesus and he would fulfill all of God's promises. Through, through Jesus, salvation would come to all of God's people despite our spiritual brokenness and bankruptcy. 
through Jesus, a, a blessing would come to, to everyone who cries out to God like Esau cried out to his father. Through the gospel, God's blessing is available to everyone who calls out to him in humility and desperation. Through the gospel, when we cry out and we say, God, don't you have a blessing for me? His answer is yes. He says, yes, I will bless you. Yes, I have blessed you. Yes, I am present with you. Even when your family situation seems so dire, you can put your faith in me and I promise to be at work within you because I've already given you my son Christ. Church, can I ask you to stand with me? I'd like to invite the band to come up as well. We, we are going to finish our time this morning by, by taking communion together. If you're new, you need to know that communion is a meal for the church, for God's people. If you are a Christian, you are welcome to participate. If you are not yet a Christian, God's word would ask you to refrain. Church, our God loves to bless families. He loves to bless dads and moms and teenage guys and teenage girls and college students who are trying to live with their parents through the summer months. He loves to bless young parents with particularly difficult children. He loves to bless marriages that are at the breaking point and who are considering divorce. He, he loves to bless singles who are seeking family and are figuring out how to care for their older parents. He loves to bless our families. And church, how does he bless us? He blesses us by reminding us that our hope is not in ourselves, but in Jesus. And the communion meal reminds us of this blessing in a very particular way. Hey dads, husbands, you are not perfect. You have made many mistakes. You have sinned in big ways, just like Isaac did. But guess what? God does not hold those sins against you this morning, and he wants to remind you today that you are forgiven in his sight, and he is able to help you to be a faithful and loving husband and father by his grace. Your, your sinful patterns are not the end of the story. No, no matter how badly you have messed up, Jesus hung on the cross and he spilt his blood for you. And you can now seek to lead your home in humility because of the forgiveness that you have richly received from him. Hey, teenagers, God wants to remind you too that your mistakes are not the end of the story. Have you really messed up your relationship with your parents? Have you sinned in some big ways that, that seem irreparable? Do you feel shame because of the mistakes that you've made at school or at work or with your, your family? Guess what? God wants you to know this morning that your mistakes are no match for the blessing of his grace. God loves to redeem lost teenagers. He loves to take teenagers who feel like there's no hope and like they're lost in darkness and depression, whose relationships are broken, and he loves to place those teenagers at the foot of the cross and remind them that there is a river of forgiveness that flows just for them. Hey, younger kids, 10, 11, 12, maybe you're 6, 7, 8, 9, have you sinned against God this week? Have you disobeyed mom and dad? Have you gone angry at your brother or your sister? 
God wants you to know that there is a river of forgiveness that flows to you as well. And maybe you're not taking communion, but you can look at your parents and know as they take communion that Christ's body was broken and his blood was spilt for you. Hey, wives and moms, God wants you to know that your mistakes are no match for the blessing of his grace. Have you messed up? Is your sin what you think of as you start every morning? Are you, are you carrying your failures like a, a massive load of bricks on your back? Do, do you carry it wherever you go? Do, do you carry that load of, of regret to, to the soccer game and, and to the recital? Do you carry that regret as you make dinner and as you pack lunches? Do you carry that, that regret and shame as you fall asleep at night? Do, did you know Did you know, friend, that nothing makes our God happier than demonstrating his love and forgiveness for people like you? He loves to declare you forgiven again and again and again and again. He will never grow tired of saying, you're my daughter and I love you. He loves to remind you that when he looks at you through the gospel, he doesn't see that history. He doesn't see those failures. He sees your trust in him, and he is eager to free you from that guilt and to allow you to pursue real godly growth and transformation in yourself and with those that you love. Christian, wherever you are this morning, whether you're in the midst of family conflict or you're just standing alone and saying, I need more of Christ. Listen, through this communion meal today, Let us all be like like Christian in the Pilgrim's Progress, who when he saw the cross of Christ, the burden that he bore on his back, it says it, it fell off and it rolled down the hill and into the grave, never to be seen again. Through the bread and the cup, let's remember that God has removed the burden from us and that we have received the full blessing of his son. The riches of heaven are ours. It says that on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Church, let's take of this bread and remember the work that he has done for us today. It says in the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's take this cup together and let's remember that there is a river of forgiveness flowing to each one of us this morning. Friends, your personal and family struggles are no match for the richness of God's grace.